0: You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Another glorious and illustrious episode of your favorite podcast, the Hot Take Hot Box. My name is Matt McSweeney. This is episode 86 of that previously mentioned podcast. No UFC this week, so we will not have another UFC episode decided against it. Instead, I'm here to talk about Bryce Harper returning from his fractured thumb and coming back and making his return tonight in Philadelphia ahead of schedule against the Pittsburgh Pirates, he will be DHing and batting fourth tonight. We got a lot to get into, ladies and gentlemen. So why don't we just jump right into it? So the Phils did not do well in their Mets series and. That should come as no shock to anyone. I know we had high hopes and belief that maybe this series could be different. I kind of talked about it last week, and it just did not work out that way. This seems like a situation where a team just has your number mentally. They're better than you, and it's just something that we can't overcome as a as an organization and just a baseball team. It just – whether we're there, whether we're here, that that team dominates us. The New York Mets – are the Phillies' daddy right now, and that I I that that kills me inside, man. Because I was a, I was a fan. Obviously, a lot of you out there listening were, and nothing not much has changed. That those Neanderthals from New York come down here, they buy up all the seats, they pack the building up, they carry on. They're obnoxious, they are belligerent, uh, kind of like a a Philadelphia fan is stereotypically known for. So. It's never been fun. I've been down there with Jose, 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 Jose for Jose Reyes, who was the shortstop at the time when the Mets would collapse on a year in and year out basis with hand division to us, seven games up with seventeen to go. I mean, that's those were the days. The Phillies are the team to beat in the NL East. Those were the days. All right, right now that those days we are not the team to beat in the NL East. The New York Mets are. And although they've kind of fallen off the not necessarily fallen off the wayside, but they have handed back some of that lead that they were able to obtain in the NL East. They're only two games up. The Braves have stayed just as hot as the New York Mets throughout the entire season, it seems like, especially towards the as soon as the summer started in the later half of the summer. The Braves are eight eight and two in their last ten have won three in a row, just got done destroying the Pirates. They have a big series coming up this week against the Cardinals, this weekend against the Cardinals. But before we jump uh, any further, I, I do want to go through the Mets series. Phillies get cooked on Friday night, 7-2. Nola does not have his best stuff. Of course, we can't hit Chris Bassett, so it, it's just a foregone conclusion we were going to lose that game. Wheeler, again, a similar game to the Sunday game where he kind of just didn't get hit around like hard. But lots of little looping, you know, uh, bloopers and, and things of that nature. He gives up four runs, five hits, walks four, which is uh, a little bit uncommon for him. I mean, you even get to see Derek Hall come into the game at a certain point. This was the beginning of a day night doubleheader. They lose that game 8 to 2, kind of give it away towards the end. Uh, they, they weren't necessarily in the game, but they weren't out of it. Three-run game heading into the ninth, and you kind of just give it away. Nick Nelson, awful. He's been awful all week. He's the new familia in my mind. He goes two-thirds of an inning, gives up four runs, two walks. He's just been extremely ineffective, and he shows it even in this Red Series that we'll get to in a little bit. But, yeah, Phil's kind of hand that one away, and then they're able to come back at night. It seems like this this thing was completely going the wrong direction. The Phil's get this one though. Bailey Falter on the mound. He goes 6 innings, 2 hits. And the uh, Phillies win 4-1. They needed that cuz they didn't score many runs, but they scored enough runs, you know? So gives up one in the first, and then after that, it's smooth sailing. We get runs from, you know, a JT Romuto single, boom, doubles, scores two. Hoskins with a single. So no homers. Like I talked to you guys that there's more than one way to score in a baseball game. The Phillies, I know are commonly known as strictly a home run team, but that was not that's not the case specifically in this game. Phillies, though, on Sunday, complete this game this game hurt big time because it was a game that they had in multiple parts of the game. So at one point they're up four nothing to begin the game. They let them come back, tie the game. They get a three-run homer from Bohm Boehm who had, I believe, six RBIs in this game. I want to make sure I'm correct with that. Six RBIs just, just in this game. Uh they're up seven to four. They give it right back. Then they pinch hit Segura into the game. He gets them back in with a with a home run that barely clears the wall. And then Mark Khanna again, who he's another I mean, he had three RBIs. Then he adds another one with a fourth RBI. Or I'm sorry, five RBIs, because it was a two run homer. Scored Jeff McNeil and just ripped our souls out to take the lead. Brandon Nimmo adds another one, and then the Phils, basically at that point, were down two. They were able to get the first two guys on Castellanos and Ramuto, I believe, got on, and that was it. You know, they weren't able to get those guys home. Edwin Diaz uh, shuts the door, and the Phils lose a series that they were very much capable of tying at the very least. This Sunday game was a huge missed opportunity. I, it's not again not the end of the world this was you know you're not going to catch the mets it wasn't like a uh, do or die situation but we want to comport ourselves with a little bit more dignity against the mets and at this point it just seems like the mets had like like i said they just have our number there's just this mental block and this self-destruct button that the phillies hit seemingly only when they play the new york mets the bullpen stops performing you know the, the typical guys that you could count on trustworthy so let's let's not dwell on the negative too long but we had to talk about this Mets series and for something that wasn't a sweep it sure did feel like a sweep by the time it was over uh that Sunday game was about as dejecting of a loss as I've experienced from the Phillies in, in, in a couple weeks months it seems months the other ones I bring up are usually the ones from the beginning of the season. I always talk about the one against the Rockies that they blew early on during the year. And, of course, the Mets game where they were up six runs, six, five to six, I think it's six runs in the ninth, and they blew it, and the Mets came back and won, which still is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen as a Phillies fan in my 27 years on this beautiful earth. It was, it was horrific. It was horrific. And that could have happened to any other team that the world could have ever established. It could have been a, a, the, little, the winners of the Little League World Series who came back on us like that. I still would have felt better about that than letting the New York Mets do that to us. I don't like the New York Mets. Let me just go out and say that, okay? I don't know if that's clear or not. I don't like them. I didn't like them in 2007. I didn't like them in 2008. I didn't like them then. I still don't like them now. They are a choking organization. They are a horrible organization. And what is coming for them will eventually come for them. Write it down. Keep it in your notebook. Whatever you want to do. I refuse to believe that the New York Mets are for real until they show me otherwise. Now this year, you could convince me. With DeGrom, Scherzer, I mean, Bassett's been pitching well. They have a bullpen, they have a back end of the bullpen that has been lights out. They have a very solid lineup. They field well. They do everything pretty pretty consistently and pretty well. They are not a bad baseball team. But at the end of the day, they are the New York Mets. And their time is coming. Destiny awaits them. And I truly hope it is on the grandest stage. I don't want to make it to the World Series, but I would like the, the fall to be epic. I would. Now, that's just that. That is just me, Matt McSweeney, here on the Hot Take Hotbox, letting you do that. So let's get back. Let's get back to the center of the earth. Let's get back to the Philadelphia Phillies. Let's not waste too much time on that organization or group of hooligans and and Neanderthals. That is City Field and, and the New York Mets. But again, have at it by all means. Keep playing your trumpets. Have have your fun. Uh, we will see where you are in October. And I hope we get another opportunity to see them in October. And I hope, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is with our hands that they are taken out of the playoffs. Truly. It would be a dream come true to experience something like that. So let's get back. Phillies and Reds. Phillies had a nice four-game sweep of the Reds this week, which was definitely needed to clean the palate after, like I just explain what happened in new york or not in new york against new york and before i get into this red series i would like to say i will talk about all the injuries and whatnot at the end of the whole recap of what's been going down this week it's been there's a lot to talk about injury wise although we're getting harper back we lost quite a few soldiers this week we will discuss that so this monday game was a cinder guard game it got delayed to begin with uh, about an hour which was good for the Phillies because they, they delayed it because they couldn't afford to have Syndergaard go out there for two innings. And then the rain delay come, and they would have to yank him and go to a clusterfuck out of the bullpen, which they could, can't afford to do. So they went Syndergaard. Syndergaard gave him a great game, seven-plus innings, one earned run, only three hits, two walks. That's all you can ask for from anyone, especially Syndergaard. Syndergaard has given you some good, good performances, here against the lowly Cincinnati Reds, so maybe we can get him in there against the Reds every single game. Unfortunately, I don't think we have any more games against them. So he gave you a good, a good game against the uh, Marlins as well. I'm kind of uh, joking, but uh, Syndergaard so far so good with his uh, ten years of Philadelphia Philly. Only four starts, but he has been good in three of the four starts. I will take that. Phils didn't score a ton in this one, only winning this game four to one. Uh, Castellanos, Stott, Homer, Castellanos with a double and an RBI, and then Real Muto with a double and RBI. I talked about the the those two specifically, Castellanos and Real Muto, even Stott, we'll, which we'll get, we'll, we'll talk about. It. We'll give Stott his uh, his flowers too. But Castellanos and Real Muto, those were the key I talked about when Harper went down to keeping the ship afloat and turning this thing back around. The, there was no way we were going to be able to do it without those two. They are two... Highly paid players who are very talented, very capable of performing at a high level. And especially early on in the year with Romuto and even Castellanos, you weren't getting the necessary production. Obviously, Castellanos' power numbers were down. Romuto's power numbers were down. But it's not only just about hitting home runs. It's about those extra base hits, those doubles that drive runs in. And like I just told you, Castellanos had two RBIs in this game, Homer and a double. They each have two hits in this game. Ramuto did his thing with a double and, I believe, a single. So that's all you can ask for, man. I mean, you look at Castellanos. You know I'm a big average guy. Average up to 266, which was down, dipping into the low 50s, high 40 area uh, during his real low stretch there when he was arguing with Salisbury and whatnot. Real Muto was big-time low. He's up to two seventy three. He's hitting about 3, 4, 335, 3, 340 area, uh, mid mid three thirties since uh, I believe the last thirty five baseball games. So, I mean, he's completely turned it around. He's up to fourteen home runs, and, and there was a while there where he wasn't hitting home runs at all. So, again, these guys, these two guys, along with Bohm, along with Stott, have been huge for the this this stretch. Since Harper went down to keeping this offense afloat, and Harper is not the end-all be-all, we kind of discussed it, uh, you know, as a fan base, that it that there's way too many players on this team making a large sum of money for them to just completely fold, collapse, and die when he goes down, or if he goes down, it, that can't be a thing. He's a great player. He's a huge piece. He's the he's the reigning MVP. But it can't be a death sentence if he misses a game. It can't be, you know, the end of the world if he's out for a week or so. You know, it, it. There's enough guys on here that it needs to be able to. the The show goes on. We need to keep this thing rolling by any means necessary, ladies and gentlemen. And, and thankfully, they have been able to. So Tuesday night Phil's almost blow this one. They're up five three going into the eighth inning. They get not good games. From Alvarado, who, you know, he, he struck out three, but he also gave up a run and gave up three hits. And Brad Hand, who gave up the triple in the ninth, that brought in the two runs, but they were unearned. Edmundo Sosa, responsible for the error. Uh, there's a lot of que- There was a lot of questionable stuff happening in this Red Series. Uh, Jairo Munoz, out in right field and left field at certain points, doesn't look like he knows how to catch a fly ball whatsoever. Uh, thankfully, he was sent down today to make room for Bryce Harper, so we will not have to see him catching fly balls out in the outfield. But the Phils in this one, they go down 6-5. Looked like a vintage loss for the Phils where they just completely fold at the end, throw away a game, and, and just your bullpen lets you down, and then you come back up. You you got some fight. You had fight in you, but now it's gone. Segura walks and Bryson Stott, who, again, I told you I'm going to give him his flowers. He will have his own his own segment here at, at, in a little bit. But he knocks a double off the top of the wall. That was a few feet from a home run. Knocks it off the wall. Gene Segura scores on a uh, throwing error in, uh, in into the infield. And Bryson Stott's able to take third. Which then eventually brings Nick Maton to the plate. They have the infielders in. He smokes one through the hole. On the right side of the infield, Phil's win on a walk-off by Nick Maton, who I continue to praise and say that Nick Maton, every time he's out there or every time he's on the team or he plays or he's involved, good things happen. The guy is a good guy to have on your team. He's a guy who can play the outfield, he can play the infield, he can play essentially every position other than catcher and pitcher. That's the kind of guy I want on my team, uh, as opposed to a Gyro Munoz who can't do that let's just simply i don't want to offend anyone but he just can't do that all right he is not nick mayton so let's keep it moving huge win for our fills on that tuesday night then we bounce back on wednesday night we get christopher sanchez goes six strong six strong gives up three earned but the fills were able to get to tj zoich or Zuch zoich or zoich i believe i'll go zoich but they get to him. He gives up six runs. They had the bases loaded in the first inning, uh, I believe. Yeah, bases loaded in the first inning. They were not able to get any runs. After that, they were able to knock some guys in. There's a lot of, wa- yeah, there's four walks in only two and the two thirds innings. Uh, Veerling with a single that scores a run. You got. Hoskins reaching on a fielder's choice that scored a run. He had a JT bomb to start off the third, and this is when they got all the runs. Schwarber walks in a, a run. Hoskins walked in a run. Bohm with a single that scored a run. Uh, then the Reds post a little bit of a comeback with uh, you know a farmer home run. India double scored, so the game got close at a li- not terribly close, but you know I mean close enough. But towards the end it was a little hectic. Robertson in the game. Uh, Jairo Munoz just drops, e- drops an easy fly ball out in left field. Just looked like a Sunday softball guy that would be on my team. Shout out to Ozzy. Uh, uh, it's just, what, 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 the fuck is that? I mean, this is the major leagues. I get mad when I see that on a sun like I said, a Sunday softball league, this guy's a professional baseball player and maybe you, you could have the argument that he shouldn't be out there in the first place, but if you're out there, you got to catch the fucking ball. Uh, you, he looked like he just looked lost out there. Both both times they played him out there, he looked lost. And thankfully, again, I'll mention the fact that he was sent down today. So we don't have to see that anymore. We don't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, Arcidi Aquino gunned Reese Hoskins out from the warning track in right field with an absolute piss missile that came from his right arm. Uh, one hops to the plate and guns Hoskins out at the plate, which... It could have been consequential had this game gotten a little bit more out of out of control than it already did. Like I said, I said uh, they brought Robertson in; he eventually shuts the door, gets his 18th save of the season. But it was not, you know, necessarily the most easy thing in the world. At one point, there was two guys on, and then Bowman the boys turned a pretty sweet double play to end the game. Phils get out of there. A uh, game again that could have easily slipped away, but they took care of business. Now we move to last night, Thursday night. We get a complete game shutout from Aaron Nola, which, fucking awesome to see. Although, again, I have to remind myself that we're playing the Reds, and everyone, our pitchers, they're all going to look incredible when they play against the Reds, because the Reds seemingly have a bunch of guys that I've never heard of playing for them, and guys who have no business uh, playing at this level. So, uh, listen, I'm not... Uh, I'm not a snob, uh, but again, I mean, we only scored four runs uh, on uh, Mr. Justin Dunn, who has a 5.12 ERA. He's fairly new. It seems like a lot of guys just getting their chance here at, at the major league level. It doesn't seem like they have a lot of mainstays. I mean, Joey Votto's out for the year. They have a couple guys, just a lot of young guys out there who don't really have any direction or any sort of... Vision to what's going on there. They're they're just a ship. That's lost at sea. I mean David Bell talk about a guy who's lost at sea he looks completely just Just lost just lost when they show him in the dugout looks like he has no idea what he's doing questionable pinch runner uh, decisions and just stuff that Makes no sense that he does throughout the game. Schwarber hit one off the top of the of the brick wall in center field last night they put it at 451. I mean, that was a fucking missile that he hit last night. It's good to see Schwerbs getting back into the power uh, power column, and it seems like he'd slowed down here a little bit. But, hey, now is as good a time as any to get it back and going. And then Edmundo Sosa with a 3-RBI performance last night. He has been... A very solid addition to the to the infield rotation, sort of, a, a, and a good option to throw in there to give players like like Alec Bohm was the one to give him a night off here and there. I mean, he only he's only in there, you know. He gets two at bats, he gets one hit, three RBIs, just doing his part, dude. And that's all you can truly ask for, and, and he obviously provides a plus glove for the most part when he's not making errors, but. That's that. The Phillies took care of business against the Reds, and they look to take care of business here at home against the Pirates. The Pirates, 47-77. and 77. They are not a good baseball team. Bailey Falter on the mound, but they have a man that calls himself Bryce Wilson, 2-7 on the mound. We got Kyle Gibson against Tyler Beatty He is a 4.13 ERA, so he's probably the best of the bunch that we're going to see this week. Uh, no, and there's a man named Contreras. uh Ronzi Contreras, 3.86 against Syndergaard, who seemingly has had a month off, uh, which not true, he just pitched on Monday, but 377 ERA against 386. So then the Phils will head to Arizona, and they will head out west for the week, and lots of late-night games for everyone out there for the Night Owls. Diamondbacks, Giants, three with the Diamondbacks, three with the Giants, and then they come back home next week against the... Miami Marlins. So let's get into some of the different players who have been excelling. I mean, it's been amazing to see Bryson Stott and the development and the progress that he has made in his one season here in the big, with the big club ever since he was given the free reign to be the everyday shortstop where he's not looking over his shoulder. He's not worried about hitting home runs or hitting for power or he's just he'll go the other way. He'll hit one in the gap. He'll just slap one here, slap one there. He he just does he's a high quality baseball player with a plus glove whose average at one point this season was down in the one sixties. He's now up to two twenty nine. He's a hair below two thirty. He's completely turned it around, and I mean, kind of goes under the radar is this base running, the, the the extra bags he's able to take just off of being aggressive. He, that part of his game reminds me a lot of a guy who used to play second base here. He he has just been awesome, man. He's been truly awesome and, and uh, a treat to watch on, on our baseball team, and I'm so glad. That Rob Thompson has given him the the reins and let him take over the shortstop area, shortstop position, the area. I don't know why I said it like that, but has just kind of kind of finally let him blossom and grow into the player that we all thought he could and be beca- and that he was capable of. And I'm sure there's even farther leaps and bounds for him to grow. Say they go out and get a shortstop at you know next year. There's all, all talks of the Bogarts and the Trey Turners, and who knows if they're going to spend all that money if they want to do that. But Stock could always move right over to second base. He can he can play either one of those positions, and his bat has been again a great, a consistent addition to the lineup. And again, if Girardi was here. He pro this probably wouldn't be you know would not be happening. The Phillies would still. Be treading water, probably uh, this many games under 500. Uh, I'm sure that, that this turnaround just do, it doesn't seem like it was ever going to happen, and, and we talked about it at the time. It just we needed a spark. They needed something to change. They started to play these young guys. The matons of the world are getting more of an opportunity out there. They've ha- you've had to see a little bit more Veerling and stuff like that than you would have liked. But other than that, Stott has been the shining star for young players making a name for themselves. And I don't include Alec Boehm in that because he was already up for the last two seasons, but talk about a guy who has completely made a 180 and turned it around from last year. Alec Boehm is now a huge part of the Phillies lineup and success. He's more than capable of fielding his position at third base when before it was like we have to move him to first. He is uh, not good. At all, I'm trying to think of the the proper way to say that, but let's just simply put it, he was not good at third base these last few years. Now it seems like he has finally gotten control of what's going on over there. He plays confidently over there. He attacks ground balls and, and balls on the short hop. He just he looks like a completely different player over there, let alone what he's been doing at the plate. And n- not a huge power number sort of guy. But, again, hitting 292, hitting in the high 200s is all you can ask for, especially in today's day, you know, game, day and age, all that. Again, what, what does he have? 10 homers, not crazy good power, but 58 RBIs doing his part on that end and just not, a, not easy to strike out either, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the other guys that are around him, uh, 130 for Hoskins strikeouts, 121 for Castiano strikeouts, 158 for Schwarber strikeouts. Bones only struck out 90 times, and he plays every day essentially. He's only got—I mean, he's got the same amount of at bats as Schwarber, uh, and right along there with Castellanos, Hoskins uh, as the guys who have been here the whole season. So he's not—he's he, always putting the ball in play, which gives him more of a chance to positively affect the outcome of uh, the game and positively affect his team which he's been doing, especially these last two months. Uh, a lot of guys have stepped up and kept this ship afloat and have kept the Phillies alive. Now is back. Now Harper's back. The Phillies are essentially at full strength when it comes to their lineup. Marsh is now dealing with a sprained ankle that he, he came down trying to make a play out in the outfield. Uh, the bullpen is now dealing with some some serious uh, losses. Knable, it's it's been rumored and discussed that he's out for the year. That's a huge loss, thank God. Uh, at the time, I, I didn't think we needed a bullpen guy, but I didn't, you know, silly me didn't think that guys could actually get hurt. Uh, so, good move going out and getting Ro- uh, Robertson. Uh, and a- adding that, uh, the Phils seems like Coonrod's going to have to take a step up because also Sir Anthony out with tricep soreness. Who knows what version of him comes back or when he can get back as soon as possible. Hoping to get him back, at least before the playoffs. And I know they didn't say it's going to be like a long-term thing. It just kind of seems like a arm-getting-tired sort of situation. But anything going wrong with a pitcher's arm, especially a guy like Sir Anthony who's had Tommy John and has sat out for seasons on end, it's just... It's a dangerous, dangerous situation. And now you're having the count on guys like Alvarado. Uh, even more innings from Bilotti, uh, Brogdon, just guys that a lot more weight is being thrown on their shoulders, unfortunately. And hopefully they're able to, again, keep the ship afloat. That bullpen now having to keep the ship afloat. Another injury, forearm tightness for Zach Wheeler. He's going on the IL. That is an enormous loss, uh, especially in the short term. Hopefully, it's basically at this point the Phils have enough games against these bad teams that I think, barring the entire team going down or getting hurt, they're going to be able to get this thing to the playoffs. I, I truly do believe that. Uh, they're gonna, I think you know you amass enough wins against the Pirates, and we'll see how they travel out west to the, to the Diamondbacks and to the Giants. But again, we've talked about it on here uh, at nauseum. There there there's a bunch of teams. Up on the schedule that they can get some easy, easy games against and some easy wins. Uh, let's go through against Diamondbacks, Giants. Who Giants are 61 and 62 are you know kind of just uh, another ship that's floating out there. They're not as lost as necessary the Cincinnati Reds are, but that this is a team who was kind of selling, kind of wasn't. They're not really in the playoff race. They're five and a half, but are they really that close? You know, they they probably somewhat believe, but. So hopefully the Phillies can go out there and take care of business. And again, the Diamondbacks are 56 and 67 at this moment. So another team who they're more dead than the Giants are. Giants aren't as dead as the Diamondbacks, but they they're going to have to go out and play good baseball. I guess it's it's that simple. This isn't going to be walk over like the Pirates and Reds. Uh, you know, then they come back to the like I said, the Marlins, Nationals, Marlins. They have plenty of games against teams that are under 500 especially the Nationals and Marlins. And like I said, the Giants are basically a 500 baseball team that they should be able to take care of business against. But again, traveling west, you don't know who, who that's going to work out for, who that isn't going to work out for, who's going to perform well, who's not. And mainly I went into all that to say I think they can get through these next few weeks if they can get these guys like Wheeler, like like Dominguez back by mid-September, get them ramped up, get them ready to go for the playoffs. That's the most important thing for me is a, a healthy Zach Wheeler going into a playoff start, and uh, a healthy Dominguez on the back end of the bullpen that is an option and an arm you can go to. Other than that, it's you know it's kind of silly to start getting extremely worked up. It's not good. It's not good. Those guys getting hurt, especially at this time of the year. Uh, the good thing is again the Phillies have amassed enough victories and have put themselves in a situation where. Not that they can afford to lose a bunch of games, but it's just a good part of the schedule. I don't even know where I was going to go with that because it's we really can't afford to be losing baseball games, especially against the teams that we're playing. But I guess if he was going to go down, this is about as good of a time as it could be, uh, at you know, or a good part of the schedule as it can be when you know, at, at this time of the year. I'm trying to. Put a positive spin on this, ladies and gentlemen. It's not good. It's not good losing your number one, two starter at, at this point in the season. It's just not. Uh, Cinder, it's going to be more Syndergaard. You're going to need uh, Suarez to pitch well. And uh, you know, you're know you going to see more Falter. You're going to see more Christopher Sanchez. It's just that simple. And I know when we originally made that deal in the beginning, we, we were hoping that this wouldn't be the case and we wouldn't have to see these guys. But that's why they're here it's emergency it's an emergency situation all hands on deck and they need to come in and they need to play big so that's uh that that's about all I'll do for the phils here not much else in the philly sports world eagles have some covid stuff going on with their their preseason game who knows if that's going to get played really don't matter no one of consequence or value to the eagles season this upcoming season should really be playing Flyers, obviously, who cares? Nothing. Sixers, who cares? Nothing. More pictures of James Harden working out. Uh, I'm reading a book about the process. I'm sure I'll talk more about that as the weeks uh, go on and the more pages I read of it because I've always been a huge process guy. Big hanky guy, obviously, and uh, I know there was al- that was always a contentious part or uh, subject of conversation here. And that's something I'd be willing to argue with and debate with. Now it's kind of gone by the wayside and lost its uh, uh, lost it, it touch with reality because some of the softer fans in this fan base have clinged to that process thing for years and years on end when it wasn't about any of those things you're saying. It, it was truly that this was the goal to get our, put ourselves in a situation where we could have been competing for a championship and he didn't even get to see it through which i i do truly think has impacted how it played out when the way i uh, the way i explain it or put an analogy to it is a chef or some sort of a cook of some sort Coming into the kitchen and the chef starts to put the ingredients out and he starts to put it in the pot and he's mixing it up and then halfway through someone comes into the chef, hits him in the head and starts scooping stuff out, and throwing their own shit in and just mix and matching and kind of just doing their own thing. And then halfway through that guy doing his thing, he gets hit with a lead pipe and another guy comes in and it's just now is that really the process? Is that really what that original guy was making? Or did two other people come in and just completely fuck with whatever he was doing and just kind of put their own mark on it, their own uh, taste or special ingredient, whatever the fuck you want to say. It's just not the same. It's not. This wasn't Hinky's process. This wasn't. This this wasn't what he was trying to do. Okay. i mean, I'll, I'll just go there and maybe one day one of you morons can come on and argue with me about it. But right now, not going to do that. But just didn't want to talk about that because I've been reading that book. I'm only about 30 pages in, but there you go. So didn't want to get some college football in here. So I, I know we talked about it on here. I don't know if you guys uh, listened to the me and J Pav's episode. Shout out to J Pav. We will be doing a college uh, pro pick'em uh, show e- each week during the during the football season. We'll be giving our picks. We'll be keeping track of how we do. I imagine I'll do horrible because. Historically, I'm one of the worst pro football gamblers of all time. Not that bad at college, and and just the rest of professional sports, I don't do well on UFC. I do like close to fifty percent, but I know I don't do that well on there because that is an absolute crapshoot. So I did want to read. I remember if you remember last year, I read Nick Egan. Shout out to Nick Egan. I read King Chaz's college football preview on this podcast. The man gave out Georgia National Championship. He gave out Utah to win the Pac-12. I mean, the guy smoked it last year. And if you bet any of the stuff that he had, especially those futures, you know, it's all this is all futures, but you made some money. It's that simple, okay? The guy went three of four on his season totals. Utah Pac-12 South. Utah Pac-Twelve Conference Champions. Georgia plus 650 to win the national championship before the season the guy is some sort of clairvoyant genius especially when it comes to college football the guy simply sees the future okay I am not one to I, I don't throw around these kind of comments lightly listen when you make me money like this that you 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 have a fan in me for life there's certain guys that you go to for these different things myself and Ty for MMA all right? Then you got, you know, different guys for baseball. Shout out to the Deem. I don't know if he's much of a baseball. He's not a gambler, but the guy knows the sport. I have a friend, Camp. Shout out to the guy who does the intro. He just had a baby. Shout out to Camp. Ba- another guy who knows his baseball, knows how to bet on baseball. Uh, different guys know football, man. All right. Different guys know pro football. JPav pav knows his football. And King Chaz knows his college football, man. And the guy again won won us some money last year, and let's hope that we can run it back and win some money this year. It's just that simple. So let's let's get into it. Let's let. I'm not gonna read the whole paragraph. You can like I said, you can find it again online. But let's get into some of these picks. So this one I really like. Uh, uh, Oklahoma State under eight and a half wins. A team that beat my beloved Irish in the Fiesta Bowl last year. They won 12 games last year. They only returned five starters from a from one of the most elite defenses in the entire country this past year. They lost their defensive coordinator, and he kind of views 2021 as an outlier in comparison to the seven to eight wins that they had been the three seasons prior. Love this pick. I absolutely love this pick. He is big on a lot of these unders. So Nevada Wolfpack under four and a half wins, Kentucky under eight wins, which honestly always a, a nice uh. I mean, eight is a lot for Kentucky, especially in the SEC. The Nevada pick is based on losing the quarterback and coach and having no one to basically catch the ball. Four and a half wins seems like like he's, he labels out there just a, a rebuilding program. So I could definitely see that. He also likes Stanford under four and a half wins, who they have been an absolute garbage bin for many, many a uh, and many seasons and that Pac-12 is not easy. you know you still have USC there Utah Oregon USC BYU they do have to play Notre Dame this season and it just seems like they haven't been good in a while uh two straight seasons under 500 he expects another down year for the cardinal and uh I I, I like that so because I hate Stanford uh for no real good apparent reason Other than Notre Dame plays them every once in a while, and there was a couple years and they had Andy Luck that they would beat the shit out of us. So the hatred is not always rooted in logic, ladies and gentlemen. So let's go to the final pick, and this one's huge, ladies and gentlemen. He's going back to the well. He says it he says that himself. Utah Ute to win the Pac twelve plus two fifty. Is able to cash on the futures last year on the Utah team, including to win the Pac-12 at plus 600. Although we now see their odds plummet to plus two plus 250, I still see some value here as they are slotted behind USC, plus 170, getting that Lincoln-Riley sort of hype to win the conference. Utah gets a tough draw on the conference this year. They have to go against Oregon, but outside of this, they should be favored in every single game this year. Currently plus two against Oregon, uh, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. The Pac-12 also got switched to a similar style as the Big 12, and they got rid of divisions. So now in order to play in the championship game, you have to be the top two in the conference instead of just win your division. He believes this could potentially help the Utes should they slip up in that Oregon game. Uh, Kyle Winningham is known for building his teams to dominate in the trenches. This is something that could bode well for them should they match up with USC in the championship game in what would be a rematch of a game they play on October 15th. I am not really buying it all that hype that USC is getting this year. I'm kind of with them on that because Lincoln Riley's just going to show up and everyone thinks that they're just going to turn it around, especially in one year, maybe down the road. But in this one year, uh, I'm not really buying that he's just going to turn them into a juggernaut right away. Although they will improve on offense, their defense is poised to have another rough season. Yeah, he's 100% right. Utah is also returning quarterback Cameron Rising. Got him at plus 8,000 to win the Heisman, which uh, I don't know if you, anyone wants to take a look at that, but uh, he's going back to Pac 12, going back to the old boys, to the old Utah Utes, cashing that out at uh, plus 250 to win the Pac-12, and I, I'm with him on the... It's very reasonable. Never been a big Oregon guy. They lost their head coach, and USC getting a new head coach, kind of a new system and whatnot to implement, so plenty of chances for them to slip up throughout the season. You'd bring back a, a you know a lot of their main squad. Obviously, lost a few guys here and there, but this is a team that went toe to toe with Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Though Ohio State didn't play a lot of their starters and yada yada, they had already lost their two top guys to the going to the draft, but that's where you got to see Jackson Smith and Jigba who is going to be an absolute animal and they went toe to toe with those guys all day long. So I'm with him, all right? I'm rolling. I especially like the Utah pick. I really do like that Nevada pick, and I really, really like that Oklahoma State pick that he leads it off with. He does not have a national championship pick on here. Says that Alabama and Ohio State, not much value uh, in making those bets at plus 150 or 300. Not good that he has Ohio State on here for my Irish who play them.